How's it now? Is it better now? Was it good? I got good good projection. Okay, so at any rate, so what we got here is we have an anchor road, right? And so if you want, you can grab a hold of the anchor road. Don't grab onto it too sec quickly. Oh, like, oh, wow. Oh, we're so funny right now. You're an insurance guy. Why would you pull a guy off a chair? <laughs> Seriously. Come on. That's a liability. It's a hazard. At any rate, so, okay, so an anchor road, right? And so if you want to grab a hold of this anchor road, you can. So there's all kinds of different anchors, right? There's like Danforth anchors, which is the one that's on stage right now. I'm going to step right there. Sorry, that was awkward. Okay, so we got an anchor road. Yeah, there we go. See, we can participate. Someone else, go ahead, Ben, grab that thing. Don't wrap it around his head. No, don't do that. Are we there? Are we close to the end? Okay, we're close to the end. Okay, so all kinds of different anchors, right? There's a, there's a mushroom anchor, there's a, there's a river anchor, and uh, someone asked me if I was going to throw an anchor today, and, uh, well, I said no, but I might swing one. No, I won't do that. Hebrews 6, 19a, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Oh, I forgot I was going to do this too. This came out of Tanya's boat. This. What is this? The text starts today, verse 13, chapter 6, the book of Hebrews. Starts talking about this reality of who God is. And we have what, what we have in the text is this unique combination of God's work, okay, the activity that God is engaged in, and then the activity that humans, or in this case, a representative of humans, Abraham, is to be engaged in. And, and, and how it works isn't how we think it normally works, starting with the promise of God. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and I will multiply you. And you're familiar with it, right? It's Genesis 12, it's Genesis 15, it's Genesis 22, where God has this encounter with Abraham and promises to bless Abraham and through Abraham bless all of the nations, all of the peoples of the world. The promise is one thing, because anyone can make a promise. The outcome is something entirely different. You can promise the world, but if you can't deliver, but God delivers. But you have to understand, in this very first moment, before God had delivered to Abraham, he says, I promise. I promise on the strength of my name, I will deliver a promise given, an oath taken. And in the moment, Abraham doesn't totally realize it because he hasn't experienced it yet. The reality that he could rely on God's word and on God's work. And with Abraham and his example and God's experience with Abraham, we can say irrespective of what we're facing, the this that we can anchor to is God. God's work is to make this promise and then to fulfill the promise. 
Abraham's work is kind of unique, right? Because we like to think of, oh, give me a job to do and I'll do it. Here it is. And thus, Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Wait, what? There's not something Abraham has to do? The promise of God, clear for Abraham. Okay, crystal clear on a midnight night. Easy for him, right? But was it? Was it easy for Abraham? Was it easy for Abraham to be patient? Because it seems like on some pretty big ticket items, Abraham was anything but patient. Abraham took control over something he should not have attempted to take control over. It should have been obvious, right? Wait patiently is how the text describes Abraham. Abraham's work is to wait patiently. What? Didn't he have to do something more? Well, isn't there a greater level of activity on his part? Oh, oh, yeah, he did the things off the page that weren't part of the patient waiting. He had the engagement with Hagar, which produces his first son, Ishmael. He lies to a ruler because he's afraid that if he gets found out that his wife, Sarah, is actually his wife, they'll kill him, which was repeated, interestingly enough, by his son. But in spite of all of this, he is judged to be patient, which suggests it wasn't because Abraham was a perfect human that God blessed him, but because he was human enough to be patient in God's eyes. How hard is it to be patient? Don't just do something, sit there. How next to impossible is it for us not to want to do something more? Now, instantly we go to, well, does that mean I shouldn't work? No, that's not what it means unless God's asking you not to work, which seems unlikely given the value God places on work, but it can happen in rare cases, right? I think patient waiting is summed up in the expression, the reality of the promise of, of being blessed, that's the promise of God, blessing, and being a blessing. The patient waiting is believing in something, the this of 619. Words like faith and obedience and patience. This patient behavior is not a lack of living. It's just a lack of living that is not productive. To put it another way, how we live matters. What it is like inside of us, inside of here, matters. Another thought on this is that Abraham is described as waiting patiently. Inherent in that is a challenge. Because you don't patiently wait for something that's easy to wait for. You you patiently wait for something that you want. Or you patiently wait through a difficult period of time in your life 
patient waiting suggests that there is some sort of crucible, some sort of crisis in which we're existing, in which Abraham existed. And even though the promise of God was to bless him and bless all people through him, he waited patiently for that promise to be true. In this reality of waiting for the blessing of God, of patiently waiting, it can be so easy to delude ourselves. It can be so easy to think that we have it under control, that we have everything, that we just want to insert ourselves more into the discussion and take control of a given situation because we know more, we think more, we imagine more, we observe more. but it's not about our ability to do this thing. It's about our ability to seize hold of the line of the road that's connected to the anchor and patiently wait, irrespective of what life looks like. The text goes on how it works and what it looks like. Verse 16 For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. When we swear, we put our hand on the Bible, right? I swear to tell the truth. I swear on my mother's grave. I swear on my life. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. You might have said that in grade school. It actually has very little to do with swearing an oath, but that's how we've used it in recent memory. That's how we swear. But it's not how God swears. The intent is the same, though. The intent is to move beyond casual conversation to a place in which very particular things behaviors, expectations are created and affirmed and have the power of law. It's interesting, okay, because there is a radical difference between what someone will say to CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or whomever it might be and what they would say in a court of law where they hold up their right hand and say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help your God? Two radically different things. That's what the text is teasing out. This isn't something casual that God has spun out there just so it can fill the nighttime news. No, God is saying, by the force of law, the certainty with which I behave, an absolute certainty for reliability and trustworthiness, the unchangeable character of his purpose, what does this mean? Bless Abraham, and through Abraham, all nations be blessed. Now, this was probably understood for a long time by the people of God in the Old Testament as more babies and more land and more money and more power. But I think that's only part of it. Because God himself articulates the blessing of all people through the promise of Abraham and through that promise to Abraham 
which is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The unchangeable character of his purpose to bless Abraham and for Abraham to be a blessing. In our daily conversations, we should never lose sight of this. In our daily existence, it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to want God to bless us. And it's so easy to think that once I have been blessed, I can sit on my own self and my own desires and my own rights and never ever have to think about the world around me. And when we do that, we make the same mistakes that the people of God in the Old Testament made. The blessing of God isn't made to stop with us. The blessing of God is made to flow through us and to other people. The unchangeable character of his purpose. God guarantees it with an oath. Verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, obviously God has some limits. God can't lie. Some might argue, can God make a square circle? I would argue no, but God can't lie. We who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. This is intriguing, right? Fled to him for refuge. Does this make me a refugee? I think it does. Hang with me for a second, okay? Just hang with me for a second. Because repeatedly in the Bible, there's words like alien and sojourner and immigrant and refugee that refer to the journey that his people are following, the people of God who I would articulate, people who follow Jesus Christ. And these words are used repeatedly to articulate the difference between being a part of this world and being made for a different world. The reason why we seek refuge is because we are refugees. That this is not our home. It will not ultimately satisfy. Will there be some stops along the way that are encouraging and, and fun and enjoyable and celebratory? Yeah, without question. But, but, but ultimately, we who are followers of Jesus Christ are refugees, and the world in which we live is not our home. Stop trying to expect it to be something it will never, ever be. Acknowledge the reality of what exists around us and acknowledge the reality of how our bodies work. And to this comes this, this strong encouragement, this reality that we can hold fast, holding fast to the hope that is before us. Verse 19 says it 
better. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This anchor, this hope, this inner place behind the curtain, it's the nexus of God doing business. And Jesus is right there, just like this priest named Melchizedek. And we'll get into a little bit more of Melchizedek next week. But, but, but clearly, the author of Hebrews is articulating a difference between the high priest as it was known in the Old Testament, a human, and the high priest as represented by Jesus Christ a biblical appeal to a higher authority than human beings. The challenge so often for us is that we want to be the authority figure. Or we look to, we look to human figures to be our heroes. Just read this columnist last week. I won't mention the columnist's name, but, but it was an individual who expressed, I don't know, some thought or heart, and basically the individual was comparing the last presidency to this presidency and how maybe there was going to be hope for reconciliation and healing and this hope at the light at the end of the tunnel. And then she writes, but it seems like it's more of a firefly. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, but that's just funny and true. And true. Because if our heroes are our politicians... We're looking in the wrong spot. If our heroes are human figures who tell us they will give us everything that we need so that we are happy, it doesn't work that way. But if our heroes are truly the highest authority, if our hero is truly Jesus Christ. Then we find ourselves in a place in which we can latch onto this anchor as a refugee and find in Christ something that cannot be discovered in any other place. I don't know what the like week was like for you, I have friends who are going through or completed surgery. I had a brother who did surgery this last week, laid on a table for eight hours. It went very well. I said goodbye to my little girl. Ah, oh, man, it crushed me. Like, totally crushed me. Like, just wiped me out. I have other friends who are getting new hips and... I had a friend this last week who, in a formal way, said goodbye to his bride because she passed. And I think as the older I become, the more I am aware that there are some beautiful moments in life. But I am not made for this world. 
I'm not made for this world. And to that reality, the author of Hebrews says, here is an anchor. An anchor for the soul. The deepest part of who I am, the deepest part of who you are, the, the place where we are most real and more, most authentic, and yet still profoundly mysterious. Because do we even know ourselves? I would argue, only in part. But this sure and steadfast anchor, this hope, this highest authority, Jesus Christ offering a group of refugees a place that is steadfast. And so I do nothing more than give you Jesus Christ, the anchor for our soul. Please pray with me. In the quietness of the moment, if you've got the anchor road close to you, maybe you just grab onto it. Or maybe before the day is over, you get, find yourself close to it and you grab a hold of it. And in a very physical, real way, you feel it in your hand. And then you connect that to your heart. Connect that to your soul and say, Jesus is the anchor for my soul.